0: Um, Our reading for today will be taken from Colossians chapter 1, from verse 9 to 14. Colossians chapter 1, from verse 9 to 14. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I implore you to respond. Thanks be to God. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glory according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, in the kingdom of light. For he has for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, City Church. Good morning. Um, Sorry. All right, so I belong to that profession where we usually give disclaimers, terms and conditions, and all kinds of clauses in the contract. So at the outset, I'm going to begin by giving a disclaimer. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. If you are wondering what I'm doing here, I don't know what I'm doing here as well. So you can ask, you can ask the elders um, why they asked me to do this. But it's a privilege and it's an honor to be here before everyone. Um, and I trust God to speak to us as well. So today we start a new series. It's called Teach Us to Pray, Praying with Paul. Um, and if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, we've begun by looking at Um, Jesus, who Jesus is. So we started looking at the book of John and then we walked through who Jesus is and we saw that John says we should believe and by believing in Christ we get to live. And then after that we also looked at um, the book of Judges and we saw how spiritual renewal or the inverse of spiritual renewal and how that happens in the city and in the culture. And then now we come to um, prayer and spiritual growth. And um, you know, the, the first, the first thing, or one of the ways where you can get a Christian in trouble is by asking about their spiritual life, <laughs> by asking particularly about prayer. You know, so there seems to be all these other things that Christians like to do and do very well, but when it comes to prayer, we all just get suddenly we shake the responsibility and we say, oh, it's for people like Pastor Femi and the leaders and all the rest. But if we truly believe our vision, the vision of this church, if we believe that spiritual renewal cannot happen in Lagos, we, um, that catalyzes a gospel-centered movement, then we have to be a people of prayer. We have to be committed to prayer. And you know, it, it, it's not just going to be, well, it's for some people. It has to be for everyone. I remember a very close relative of mine um, said to me one time, she, she's not my wife, actually, so I hope I don't, Get in trouble with this statement, um, but she said to me one time that um, prayer is not her type of thing. Praise is more her type of thing, you know. And a lot of us tend to think that way. That oh well, so I'm kind of a person that prays that praises God. I like to sing songs, prayers for some other type of people, you know. But we all have to be people of prayer if we truly are going to see the kind of renewal that we are praying about. So this month and um, in August as well, over the next couple of Sundays, we'll be considering prayer and be looking at examples of prayer in scripture and seeing how that applies to our lives as well. Um, It's not an exhaustive on prayer, so um, it's just to get us started, get us hopeful, and get us praying as well. Um, So today we'll be talking about praying for spiritual growth. Thank you, Tedo, for the reading. Let's just pray again and ask God to speak with us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that um, we have your word, and we have your word given to us as a revelation of yourself and of your heart. We pray, O oh God, that you do for us what you did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and that at the end of today, O oh God, you cause your word to burn deeply in our hearts, and cause us to go home challenged, changed, hopeful, and trusting you, O oh God for great things in our lives, in this city, in our church, in Jesus' name we pray. All right, so we'll come to Colossians chapter 1. If you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, you see that Acts ends in a rather abrupt manner. Um, So it ends in chapter 28, where Paul is locked up, and the Bible tells us that for the next two years, he's witnessing to people and sharing the gospel. So it's probably around this time that Paul gets to write to the Colossian church. He never actually gets there, or at least as at the time he writes his letter, he hadn't visited them, but he's writing to them and sharing with them. And He was concerned about some things, some challenges that we're facing, right? So he, if, you read, if you read through the book of Colossians, you see that Paul is very preoccupied with telling the Colossians about the sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ, so For instance, in in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, he, he tells them Christ is the express image of God and the fullness of God. In chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, he tells them that Christian life is lived by continuing in Christ. So you are not just saved by Christ and then you go on and do something else. You live the Christian life by continuing in Christ. And then he tells them again not to let anyone deceive them, you know, that there were all kinds of theories that were circulating at the time. Oh, you know, there are deeper things of God, much like what we hear today. So just leave these elemental things. But he was telling them that don't let anyone deceive you by all these false philosophies and all that. And then he finally tells them in chapters 3 and 4 that knowing Christ leads to spiritual growth. So today we'll be considering praying for spiritual growth under three headings. Um, and the first heading is, one, the ground of prayer or the reason for prayer. Um, two is the substance of prayer or what you could call the content of prayer, and then three is hope for answered prayer in spiritual growth um, just a little just a little side um, so when I was doing this, I initially had like four or five points. I thought Paswamimy has three points. <laughs> Let me be a faithful faithful servant so i I, I ended up creating three points. Um, but let's, 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 let's look at um, the first point, the ground of prayer, the reason for prayer. So we see in verse 9, let's look at verse 9. Paul says, for this reason, and then the, the question you want to ask is, okay, so Paul, what reason? What, what reason are you talking about? What reason are you giving for continuing in prayer? And if you look up just a few verses before that, you see in verses 4 to 6, that he's talking about faith in Christ. So he says, we've heard about your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for God's people. So we see he's praying for them because he sees already there's evidence of spiritual growth in their lives. There's, there's faith in Christ. There's love for God's people. There's gospel fruit. He says that in verse 6, he says, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world in you. He says also in verse 6 that they are learning, You know that they are growing and they are learning the things that they've been, they've been taught and also he says in verse 8 that there's love in the spirit. And so Paul begins at the beginning, right? It seems like repetition, but Paul actually begins at the start. And, and if we are going to be praying for spiritual growth, that's where we actually begin. You know, very often we hear that, oh, um, pray, you should pray because if you don't pray, God won't do things in your life. And that's true, right? If, if we don't pray, we'll not be able to beseech the sovereign God to intervene in our lives. But the better start, the gospel start, is that we start from where God starts and what God has done in us. So we pray because God has already done a prior work of faith in our hearts. He has opened our eyes to see Christ, He has opened our eyes to love Christ, to treasure Christ. And out of that heart, out of that work that God has already done in us, we start to pray. Now you have to you have to realize that this is this is you know counterintuitive because. The Colossian Church wasn't the Corinthian church. So if you are familiar again in the Corinthian church, Paul was basically rebuking the Corinthians throughout the, the major the major part of the book for being people who were strong in the gifts, but they were lacking in a lot of other things. So you had people who were sleeping with their mothers-in-law, people were taking themselves to court, doing all kinds of crazy things. But the Colossian church wasn't doing this. The Colossian church were actually bearing fruits and they were you know, living the Christian life like they should. And so you find that first of all, like I said, we start at the beginning, that God has done a work in our hearts and therefore we can pray. So we're not we're not trying to appeal to God, we're not trying to gain favor from God by praying. It is already, it is because we have God's favor that we start to pray. And so you realize that Paul is praying for these guys again Because they are children of God. And so, the the beginning of learning how to pray, or the beginning of praying for spiritual growth, is that prayer is first of all an identity issue. Prayer is that we are God's children, and it is from that knowledge, that fact that we are God's children, that we begin to pray. So, you have For instance, Paul writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So at the very heart of being born again is a crying to God, is a longing after God. So we are praying because we are, first of all, God's children. It may seem like repetition, but it has to be lodged somewhere in our hearts that we pray first and foremost because we are God's children. Of course, prayer is not peculiar to Christians. It's not just Christians that pray. Um, I think the Muslims, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you talk about the regularity of it, the Muslims do it better. They're doing it five times a day. And then you have all these other things in between. You know, After Ramadan, I was hearing that after Ramadan, there's still this special five or six days where you get to pray again you know, and beseech God's favor. But Christians don't pray like that. So we don't pray to earn God's favor. We don't pray to to make a statement to God. We pray already because God has given us himself in Christ. Um, There's an illustration I'd like to show us. It's um, John F. Kennedy. Um, Some of us know John F. Kennedy. He was one of the American presidents. And he had a young family when he was president. And so you could see the, let's go to the previous one. Yes, so you can see here you can see his son right in the Oval Office while the father is working. And the guy does not give a hoot that the father is the president of the world. Now, in, in, this, was, this was in 1962. And this was at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. This was at the height of the Bay of Pigs. This was the Cold War. And yet this guy doesn't care that his father has all these other important things. The guy just rushes in. He's dialoguing with his father. He can flip to the rest, um, playing with his father. and just basically impeding his father's work during the day. (laughs) And that says something, right, that when we are children of God, thank you, that when we are children of God, we we don't care about all these protocols. We just come right into God's presence. If you find that you are not praying like you, you ought to, then maybe this is where we should start and begin to think about the fact that the God of the universe, the God who made the heavens and the earth, has called you his own, he has adopted you as his own, and you have the access and the privilege to him. Forget about JFK. Um, even in our own church, we find very, very nice examples. So one of the people I see regularly stimulating, um, Femi's son, and that guy does not care who is with his dad or his mom, what the business is. If you've been to their house or even in church here, you find that he's regularly always interrupting conversations. I, I remember that we had this conversation, and he was just coming in, every now and then, crying, making sure that he just registered his presence and that everybody knew that he was there. That is how it should be for us as children of God. The American revolutionaries came up with the Declaration of Independence. But in prayer, Christians are making a declaration of dependence, that we are depending on God and dependent on God, and that if God does not intervene in our affairs and God does not act on our behalf, that we are utterly useless. Um, One of the things that I saw on Twitter this past week is from a guy named BJ. Um, His Twitter address, if you want to check it out, is at BJ116. And he says, the most obvious sign of pride isn't boasting. It's a lack of prayer. I'll say that again. The most obvious sign of pride isn't boasting. It's a lack of prayer. So the ground of prayer that Paul starts, the reason why Paul is praying for these guys is because there's evidence of faith already in their lives. And why is there an evidence of faith? It is because God himself has begun to work in their hearts. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just just tell us why we should pray. He tells us what to pray about. And so we see the second point, the substance of praying for spiritual growth. Again, like I said, if you don't like the word substance, you can replace it with content. Um, but so he tells them what he's praying about. So he begins with why he's praying for them. Um, he's, he's, he tells them again what he's hoping to be achieved by praying for them. And he's telling them how he hopes it's achieved. So um, he begins by telling them the aim of growth, of spiritual growth, or of praying for spiritual growth. So we see in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Praying for spiritual growth. The reason why we pray for spiritual growth or the reason why we're asking God to grow as Christians is not just so that we can, they can be a, you know, you can brag and say, oh, I'm a grown Christian. In fact, if you are doing that, then you're actually not a grown Christian, right? But the reason why we pray for spiritual growth is that God has done so much for us in Christ and we are asking God that this much you have given me, help me to also measure up to what you have done for me in Christ. So in other words, true Christian growth is not just an experiential fuzziness. It's not just I was able to pray for six hours, you know, I can speak in tongues or whatever else you define Christian growth as. It is living a life commensurate to Jesus Christ. If all of our praying spiritually, if all of our growing in grace, if all of these things that we're asking God for, is not so much to grow in Christ, it's just if it's just to be able to tick some boxes and say, "Oh, I've, I've read this number of chapters, I've memorized this number of verses, and all of that," then we're not praying biblically. So biblically praying for spiritual growth is that God, I want to be like Christ. That's just that's that's the sum of it. Um, think of it like you have a child who you've sent to school. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the term or the semester or whatever, this guy comes with a report card. And you've invested so much in in the child and the child doesn't measure up. You say, what have you been doing? You know, what have you been doing? I've spent this amount of money. I've spent so much on you. I've invested in lessons and all that and you give me this poor result. It's the same way that God expects of us as people who have been given Christ, people who have been given the Holy Spirit, to live up to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. So we, um, if you've been in our gospel communities, we've had this thing called the gospel curriculum, and we had a cross chat. If you could please show us, Sharma, if you could please show us the cross chat. Thanks. So we see that At the point of conversion, the more we grow in awareness of our flesh and of our sinfulness, the more we grow in awareness of God's holiness. And the more we grow in in awareness of God's holiness, the more we grow as Christians. And that's basically what it means to be praying or the aim of praying for spiritual growth. We're not just praying that, oh, God, help me to be able to read six verses of the Bible. Help me to be able to do this number of things or check this number of points. Is that God... I want to know you more. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more aware of your holiness. I want to be more aware of your beauty and of your glory. Help me to be like Christ. That's, that's what is at the heart of spiritual growth. So we can define it any way we want, but if spiritual growth in our lives does not mean growing more like Christ, does not mean learning more and appreciating more and treasuring more the beauty of Christ, then, I'm sorry, maybe we are not praying biblically. So Paul's aim but the reason why Paul is praying for these guys and the reason why we should be praying and desiring spiritual growth in our lives is because we want to be like Christ. Very simply that we want to be like our Father, so to speak. But then Paul also shows them a picture of what spiritual growth ought to be like. So if you look in verses 9 to 12. Thanks, you can take the, take the chart away. So if you look in verses 9 to 12, we see in verse 9, it says, um, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Filling with the knowledge of God's will. Number two, in verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. So it's not just, ah, okay, some people are preaching. Um, those are those are the people who are supposed to be bearing fruit. But that every Christian, every child of God ought to be bearing fruit in every point and in every area of life. In verse 10, we see also that there's actually a growth in the knowledge of God. So you are not just learning about God. You are not just learning about God's will, learning what the Bible says, or learning right theology, but you're actually learning about God. You are growing more in your awareness of who God is and what God has done for us in Christ. And then in verse 11, he also shows them strength for endurance and patience. I don't know about you, but I can, I can, I can tell you about myself that Lagos... Just being in Lagos gets you exhausted. Monday to Friday, just I mean, just wake up and I'm like, God, why? why, 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 why is it? Why is it Monday again? I felt like that several times during this week. Like, why? You know, and you just get in your car and you see trailers parked on the road, and you know, even to get to the office is just just a tug of war. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. But Paul says to these guys being strengthened with all power and great endurance and patience. Can I suggest that as Christians, God is able to make us have endurance and patience? To deal with the bosses at work, the people who who are crazy, let me just put it like that, people who make demands of us, people who are out to frustrate us, God can give us capacity to deal with those things. God can give us capacity to deal with the challenges that we face in our lives, the very exhausting things that, and temptations and trials that are there. Maybe you've been, there's something you've been praying to God about and you've been expecting so much over a number of years. God can give you strength to do it, to, to, to deal with it. So Paul says, great endurance and patience, great endurance and patience. And then in verse 12, he also tells them, giving joyful thanks to the Father. And I like the way the NIV puts it. It's not just saying giving thanks. It's a joyful thanks, right? What's the difference? You can ask what's the difference. Here's the difference. So someone can ask, someone can give me something, and I say, thank you. But then there's also a way someone can give me something, and I'm like, wow, thank you so much. This means a lot, and you just go on and on and on. Joyful thanks, the difference between thanks and joyful thanks is when someone gives you a viral and when someone gives you a kidney in a kidney transplant. That is what God has done for us in Christ, that when we are growing spiritually, God is able to develop a capacity in us to give joyful thanks to God. And, you know, I was just convicted when I was reading this because I don't usually think of spiritual growth as being thankful to God, just being thankful in terms of our identity, right? We are are thankful to God when we have a contract. We are thankful to God when things happen, you know, when everything is going smoothly. but just waking up and thanking God for the fact that God has adopted you in Christ. And that has changed your life forever, not just on this earth, but in eternity. Joyful thanks. That's what Paul is talking about. These are pictures of what it means to grow spiritually, that we have more endurance to deal with things, that God is increasing us day by day, renewing us, giving us strength. God is giving us a capacity to be more thankful. God is giving us a knowledge of himself, right? God is giving us the capacity to bear fruit in, in the things God has committed into our hands here at City Church, in the things God has committed into your hands elsewhere and in different places that we might find ourselves. But then Paul doesn't just stop there. Paul tells them how spiritual growth can be achieved. And so we see the clue in verse 9. If you look at the latter part of verse 9, he says, We continually thank God, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So we see here, knowledge again and wisdom. What kind of knowledge is Paul advocating here? What kind of wisdom is Paul advocating here? Is he saying, um, the kind of knowledge you get from locking yourself in a room and just saying, God, God, show me, show me yourself, and you're just praying, you know, and it's merely experiential, or is Paul saying, just go and read all the systematic theology textbooks that you know, and, and this is how this is how you get knowledge and wisdom. But we know that that's not what Paul is saying because in the immediate context of these verses, we find that the the Colossians were being deceived by people who were saying that there was a kind of knowledge to be attained by certain kind of spiritual experiences. So if you read through chapter 2, verse 8, he says, he says don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy and all kinds of things. So Paul is not advocating here cooking up some special kind of experiential knowledge or wisdom that you obtain from something. But Paul is saying instead that the gospel is the means of Christian growth. And I hope that's something, that's something you will hear a lot in this church, that the gospel doesn't just bring us into God's family. The gospel keeps us in God's family. The gospel is not at the periphery of Christian life and growth. The gospel is the whole and the center of Christian life and growth. And we believe in this church and throughout Christian history, we believe that God has spoken in this book supremely and for all time, revealing himself in the person of Christ. So how do we experience what is the means of spiritual growth, it is through this book. If our prayer is not consistent with the things in this book and the revelation that God has revealed of himself in this book, then we are not growing spiritually. We are not growing really spiritually. Um, you know, one of, one, of, one of the ways we... There's this dysfunction that happens in our hearts. So we, we, th- we think of, oh, this is, this is prayer, this is Bible study. We don't, we don't usually, we see it as mutually exclusive, but we don't, ex, we don't express it that way. But we do it because usually when, when you're in a Christian circle, you say, let's pray. And everybody closes their Bibles and everybody starts praying, praying their own things and all that. That's good. There's, there's a place for that. You know, but a, a better way of praying is praying in accordance with scriptures. So if you have struggles about what to pray, just open up this book and just pick a a, a set of verses like the one we are considering today and the one we will be considering over the next couple of weeks and just pray them back to God. Those are ways where you can actually have um, spiritual growth and pray biblically and pray truly um, for spiritual growth. So we've seen one that Paul tells them why he's praying for them and why we as believers, Legosians in the 21st century can pray. And then secondly, we see what the substance of prayer is, of praying for spiritual growth is that praying for spiritual growth, one, has the aim of being like Christ, two, it uses the means of God's word, and three, that spiritual growth is actually something very tangible, something very physical, and not just something experiential. And then lastly, Paul now tells them the hope of praying for spiritual growth. What is the hope that our prayers are going to be answered? Or if we've been praying about spiritual growth, what is the hope that we can continue to pray and expect God to answer us? And Paul tells them that the the hope of our prayer, of answered prayer for spiritual growth, is that the entire Godhead is committed to making this happen for us. So we see the clue in verses 12, 13, and verse 9. So we see in verse 12, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father... Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people. How does the Father qualify us? How does the Father make this happen? Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of, his, of the son he loves. God is committed to making this happen. Philippians 1.6, it says that he who has begun this good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. So God, God, we we drive around town and we see a lot of abandoned projects. We see people who started stuff and then they get to a certain level and there isn't any more money. And then, you know, they just pull back and they're going to try to raise funds. Where can we gather funds to complete this project? God does not specialize in abandoned projects. If God starts stuff, he's going to finish it. And because he has already brought you into Christ, he's committed to making sure that you become like Christ all through the days of your life on this earth. God has qualified us. Verse 13, He says that the son also is involved in making sure that we grow spiritually. So we see in verse 13 that the Son, in verse 14, sorry, that the Son became our redemption and He has given us the forgiveness of sins. We believe in this thing called the substitutionary atonement, that Christ died in our place and in our stead on the cross, cross. and that all all the righteousness that we couldn't ever do, that we could never deserve, that we could never earn, has been given to us in Christ, and that Christ has taken up all of our sin, all of our blame, all of our shame, upon himself and has been nailed to the cross for us. And so we see that also because Jesus Christ has gone to the cross for us, God is also committed to making sure that we grow spiritually because now we have the righteousness, the redemption that we previously did not have. But then we see also the Holy Spirit committed to making sure that we grow spiritually. So we see in verse 9, it says that this wisdom and the understanding that we are talking about, it is through the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the one who makes sure that this wisdom and all these things that have been done for us by the Father and the Son is applied to our lives. So we see the entire Trinity committed to making sure that we grow spiritually, and that is the hope of our prayer, that we are not just praying to a God who is, like Elijah was stunting the, the prophets of Baal, like this God is not asleep. This God is not away. He hasn't gone on a vacation. He's actively involved in our lives, Think of it in terms of, um, of giving birth to a child, right? And, you know, if, if you give birth to a child, you nurse the child up to a certain stage and you release the child into the world. But in, in spiritual terms, God doesn't give birth to us, nurse us up to a certain stage, and release us to go and do stuff. God is actively involved from conception to growth and to all of our lives to make sure that we become who he has called us to be in Christ. And that is the hope that we have today and all the days of our lives as we pray to God and trust God for spiritual growth. Now you say, thank you very much, Emmanuel. Thank you for the exposition of verses 9 to 14. How does this apply to my life in 2017 in Lagos? Very good question. Um, I've couched it in... Um, four ways or on, on, in six ways, you could call it p four u d that is by no means slick but um, let's let 's go all right, so the first thing I think is that you know for us as Lagosians, and for us as people who have who have things to deal with, the first thing is that we need to de- prayerfully develop a robust theology of prayer. a lot of us have't i mean so like when, when we say that prayer. Praying is part of our identity as children of God, right? Um, and if we don't pray, it is, it is like being orphans. It is, we, we haven't really thought of our identity as children of God. We don't, we don't, of course, we don't wake up and say, I'm not going to be God's child today. But there's just something, there's just a kind of dysfunction in our thinking and our processing of prayer that makes us not to pray as, as we ought. So the first thing, I think, is to counter that by developing a very robust theology of prayer. So just ask God, ask God, like, God, thank you. I, I, I've heard today what, you, what you've done for me in Christ and how you've made me your own. Help me that this will be really real in my life, that this won't just be head knowledge, you know, that this would actually sink into my heart and it will be something that I truly see. Again, maybe another way we can do this is to also read rich and biblically sound Orthodox Christian writers, people who have testimonies of, of being faithful in prayer and who have pressed on in prayer. You can listen to sermons as well. Um, some of us know the name George Mueller. And this guy died in the 1800s. But all through his life, he had about two or three orphanages full of thousands of children. And how did he get them fed? It was just by praying and praying to God and asking. He never, throughout his life, he never wrote, he never wrote a request for feeding for money for anything was just prayer and asking God, and none of those children went to bed hungry any of those days. We can, we can just pick up such books and, and, wow, how did this guy do it? How, what, was, what was prayer like in his own life? And how can I apply the wisdom that he has had to my life? I know Tim Keller also has a great book on prayer. You can read, can read those kind of books. Arkans Hughes also has a good book on the disciplines of godly man, godly woman, godly family, and there's a chapter there on prayer. And you can read those kind of books and see, how have people, you know, thought about prayer and how can I glean the wisdom that they've, that they've thought about prayer in my own life and apply it? The second thing I think is that we actually need to plan to pray. Right? So a lot of our not praying is because we don't plan to pray. Um, spiritual Spiritual things don't just happen haphazardly, right? If you, want to, if you want to gain muscle, you go to the gym, you pay some money, you sweat, you plan for it, you block time and say between 7 and 9 or whatever time you decide, I'm going to go to the gym. It's the same thing with prayer. Of course, there is a place for praying on the spot um, or what the Puritans would call ejaculatory prayers. There's, there's, there's a place for that. But we need to be people who plan to pray. Schedule prayer in your, in, your, in your list of things to do for the day. Um, if you have a lunch break, just say maybe 10 minutes or something or 15 minutes. I just want to spend it in prayer. I just want to spend it praying to God. One of the things I do is if I find like I'm in, I'm, I'm in the toilet, instead of bringing out my phone and see what's on Twitter, was on Facebook or something, just block out like five minutes and just spend it praying. Just be there and just pray to God. The other thing is that we need to be consistent right, in our, in our planning. So there are days when we fail. There are days when we actually not pray, or prayer will just seem like a drudgery. But be consistent. It's better to have 10 consistent minutes every day than to have one hour once in, like, three weeks, you know? So it, it, we have to be consistent in, in our praying. Another thing is to pray with other people. Pray with other people. One of the things I usually do is when I find like man, I'm struggling and I'm wrestling, I've been very lazy in prayer. I just ring up a couple of friends in, in this church and I say, Can we can we meet? Can we meet so so day? Can we meet here and there and pray? Of course, they think that I have something to share with them. I don't have anything to share with them. I just I don't want to pray. I'm being lazy and I need and I need the strength that godly community provides. So find people in this church, find people at work, find your friends, you know, that you can pray with. It doesn't have to be you know, we have these hundred lists of things. Just, just be together and pray, and you usually find that at the end of that time together, there's a kind of recharging that happens that sustains you in your own personal place of prayer. So pray with other people. Another thing we can do um, is to pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. I mentioned this during during the uh, in the verses, but just pick out. Paul does this a lot. He, he just He's writing a letter and he says, oh, this is what we are praying about. Or he's saying, this is what you should pray about. Or, or he's saying something that you know naturally involves prayer. And so um, the church has developed this guide. It's called a meditative prayer guide to help us through the course of this sermon series. And hopefully it will be a practice that we actually develop um, to lead us to pray. So you'll find that there are, I think the way it works is usually about 20 minutes um, of your day, and then you can take some of the verses and passages we've read about and just pray through them in a systematic way. So we can pray the Bible. We can use resources as well. Um, thank God we live in a technologically driven age. Um, there's, there's an app on iOS, or I'm not sure if it's on Android as well, It's called Prayer Meet. Just type in your prayer request, and it reminds you, like, this is what i are supposed to pray about at a certain point in time. Or I know Operation World 2 has um, this app as well that gives you prayer points to pray about for the day and all of those things. So you can use, make use of technology in a, in a godly way to help you keep praying regularly. Um, and lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. As a, every, there's, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things to do. But we just cannot afford to give up. Why? Because it stems back to our identity as children of God. And can I just encourage us, even as we um, wrap this up, that God is committed to making sure that we grow. God is committed to making us more like Christ. God is more committed to making us more like Christ than we're actually committed to making it happen. So we're not coming to a father who is holding back, but he's freely extending his arms and welcoming us. And how do we know he has done that? Because of the cross. Ultimately, because of the cross. Like Paul ends these verses, he says, the Father has qualified us. He has brought us in, into the kingdom. Like like the song we sang today, I was once on a hell boundaries. I was indifferent. But you looked upon me and you brought me in. That's what God has done for us in Christ. He has brought us in Christ. The redemption, the righteousness of Christ has been appropriated to us. And the Holy Spirit is committed to making sure that we actually grow. And so let's let's pray expectantly, believing God for great things in our own lives. Let's bow down our heads. Let's pray. I'll just encourage us to take one or two minutes to just um, respond to God. Maybe there's something to repent about. repent about our prayerlessness, repent about our not having a a very robust theology of prayer and being very committed to praying and let's thank him that he has extended his arms to us in Christ and he has given us all of himself to make sure that we become like Christ let's repent in ways where we've thought of our spiritual growth merely in terms of experiential fuzziness or just head knowledge. And let's thank Him for His Holy Spirit that would help us to grow. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you, O oh God, for this time in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you've taken Lord, this feeble attempt, O oh God, and, and we trust you, God, that you would help us, you would strengthen us, you enable us, O oh God, to pray, trusting you for great things. Believing, oh God, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever ask, think, or imagine. That, Lord, you are committed to making us grow to be like Christ, to be more like you. We thank you for the cross that proves that you are committed to making this happen. We thank you, oh God, for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.